you're tuned in to the Evening Arcade podcast. This podcast uses both original content and some of the reviews and news published on the Evening Arcade for Coast and County Radio. You can find out more about Coast and County Radio by heading over to www.coastandcountyradio.co.uk. Otherwise, enjoy the clip. We're taking a little bit of a break from the regularly scheduled programme this week because we've got a very special interview with Andy Robertson, a gaming journalist who certainly knows his stuff when it comes to families. We're going to be talking about all sorts ranging from disability, access for families and the video games database, Taming Gaming, along with his new book. So do stay tuned, it's going to be an interesting episode and there's more to come. Hi, I'm Andy Robertson. I'm a journalist and I've specialised in families and video games. And I've got this new book coming out, Taming Gaming, out this week. I kind of got into journalism and covering video games about the time that the Wii launched. And so there's this kind of uptick in interest from families. And suddenly grandparents and parents were, were playing games as well. Um, and, I, you know, that, that was kind of a novelty at the time. And most people then moved on. I kind of got stuck. <laughs> and carried on writing about video games for families because I had this hunch that actually you know games weren't just for kids and we we weren't all just going to grow out of them and I've kind of tracked that kind of space um, for about 15 years writing for newspapers doing a bit of broadcast work and then some sort of online stuff uh, like for Forbes and then most recently that's kind of culminated in a YouTube channel for families and kids together and then some resources that are aimed squarely at parents. And so I'm, I'm just trying to really kind of straddle the gap between the reality of what games are like in the home, but also understanding what games have to offer. So I'm trying to be on both sides of that debate, really. When it comes to talking about families and video game consoles, one of the first consoles that comes to mind is the Nintendo Wii. And we certainly had a good conversation about why the longevity of the Nintendo Wii was such an important part of the console. Yeah, I think that's part of this ethos that, you know, families like to buy something and then keep it in the family and they keep going back to it rather than the kind of more kind of core avid gamer who will get a game, play it, move on. And also with technology, we'll, we'll get the latest technology and sort of look back and think, oh, you know, the Wii's old hat now or, oh, the Wii U wasn't any good. I've moved on. But actually in a family setting, those few experiences that do work kind of stick like the favourite films that we watch or like the favourite books that we pass around. And so it's a very different shape of play and interaction with that technology. And I think with that, they need a different sort of advice, a different sort of conversation that sometimes is a bit overlooked in both kind of the mainstream press that kind of ignore games or criticise them or have a kind of moral panic, but equally in the more core press that talk about it as kind of an insider club. And and sometimes parents and carers find it hard to sort of get into that. And it means that sometimes they end up backing away from games and letting the kids get on with it. And that's what I'm trying to do is trying to re-engage those adults. While working on the book, Andy also turned his attention towards creating a gaming database, giving parents access to all of the information they might need to make informed choices about video games. But the creation of the Taming Gaming website had quite a rocky road to its start. I got together with a publisher to write a book called Taming Gaming. During the first lockdown, I realised it was going to be delayed, and so I thought I would create what I expected to be quite a small website to support the book, because the book has lots of game suggestions in it, but obviously it's on paper and you can't search, so it's 
website. We'll make we'll make a little website that's got some of these games so parents can search for them. And then in an unexpected way, it just became really popular. It ended up on BBC Breakfast and um, Sky News and BBC Click did some stuff on it because because it arranged games in unusual categories like games that might offer calm or may connect with family or you could play with grandparents at a time which was going kind to of fortunate for me, I guess, when parents were looking at, well, how can our kids get more out of the games they're playing? Because everybody was playing more games during this ongoing pandemic. So yeah, that and that resource kind of came out of that. I'd like to say it was a premeditated business move and I, I saw an opportunity and I took it and it wasn't that at all. It was just kind of fortunate and good timing, I guess. What I've really enjoyed as a conversations that creating this family video game database has meant that I've had with parents, you know, a lot of mums, dads and carers kind of worrying about or how much screen time is too much screen time but concerned about what kids are doing on their screens all day and then playing games in the evening or playing games in the day and being able to take those parents those carers on a journey where they start to engage in in the games and discover both games that they want to play with their kids but also sometimes games that they want to play themselves and then rather than being an outsider on this kind of new media of video games suddenly they're on the inside and some of those conversations are quite moving I often talk to mums who would initially say oh I don't play games I'm not into shooting why would I do that and I'll, I'll introduce them to, to some games either through the book or through the family video game database and I'll speak to them weeks later and they often will be saying how oh I really enjoyed it and what's more my kids were like what are you doing mum oh I'm playing my game what do you mean you're playing your game you know that's that's our thing and then have a really interesting and engaged conversation as an insider and some of those parents will say stuff like oh I feel like I've got my boys back and I didn't realize but I felt like I was losing them to video games and now actually I'm part of it and this has been a really positive thing for my family so stories like that are what really kind of fire me up to sort of keep going and keep adding games to the database and you know press on with this kind of work. With the prevalence of the COVID-19 pandemic, this recontextualized all of our screen time and all of our time at home and with our children. On top of that, it meant that children weren't able to get out more and were relying more on the screens at home. So how did this affect the way our children saw video games and how does this affect the way that we can see them? Well, Andy had some good thoughts on this. It creates a really unique kind of context and it has that work of creating a lasting attachment between parents and kids in a way that sometimes is hard to find in other areas. Particularly at the moment, we don't have these kind of longer car journeys where we would, you know, chat or listen to stuff as a family. And actually video games from my family has kind of replaced that. So we'll play them together. And I noticed that we have a similar sort of interaction playing these games, maybe overcooked or moving out or something like that, like we would if we were going somewhere up the motorway and we just ended up being in the same space and chatting so I think there's a lot of benefits here that are obvious and some of the advice parents get actually overlook some of the benefits and then can make more of a problem out of things than, than is necessarily needed and I think that's what I'm keen to do is to get the right information into the hands of parents so that they can be informed and confident in this space to do the kind of great parenting work that they're so good at. While the website acts as a great resource, the book is really the main focus here because as well as providing just the information, it also provides a lot of well-researched advice, as Andy explains here. The website, the database is this discovery, you know, discovering lots of great games for the family. But the book is where I've had time to take about a year, really, to do research, talk to the people who are writing the science and doing the studies, looking at the real hot topics, the 
stuff that parents worry about. So it addresses things like video game violence, addiction, online dangers and, you know, interacting with other people you maybe don't know, the potential of online gambling and how you spend money and how do games make money. And so it looks at those, but tries to sort of stand back and rather than just do this kind of that reaction that you often see in maybe a newspaper that just has a quick look at a headline it becomes kind of like a panic headline it was great to have the time to talk to those people and then be able to reflect on that and think well how can I communicate this information in a concise way so a parent can understand it and can actually gain their own view of what video games are like. For many parents, and particularly during the ongoing pandemic, there is a worry about screen time and a worry about regulating play. Whether this be through concerns about loot boxes, or whether it be concerns about the actual screen time itself, or even things like online play, Andy has some great advice as to how to not necessarily prevent this, but how to go about it the right way. I think just understanding information is really helpful here and there's a lot of misinformation so it's easy to assume that video games are mainly making money by selling loot boxes to kids and there's hardly any left that do that you know there are some that continue and you need to understand whether you're paying up front for a game and that's the only cost you've got or whether the game is free maybe and then the the developer is making money by then you spending a small amount on some sort of season pass so you can access seasonal content I think but understanding that and suddenly it's not a surprise and that's the issue I think is when games behave in a way that parents didn't expect and so they they weren't ready to do the work to sort of ask kids oh you know what do you want to spend and of course there are some practical things that are important to do which is just to set up your devices ready for your kids to play and that means that if you've got a credit card attached to a device that you you have a password on it and you you set a limit how much spending can happen without that password or maybe you don't attach a credit card you know you use download codes or you buy a certain amount of credit on the account and I think we're just not used to doing that in the same way as we are with other things like we, we wouldn't log into Amazon on our tablet hand it to our kids and say oh no have a click around see what you do because we'll soon have various pa- packages arriving at the front door we weren't expecting we're not ready for it and so then we hand them over you know and we don't see it like we're handing over the kind of a shop at the same time and once you once parents understand that I think suddenly the kind of those issues kind of go away and on the database if you want to you can search for games that, that only have specific ways of making money so you can exclude games that have loot boxes if you want or exclude games that have season passes or equally you might really like season passes and quite like doing some loot boxes as a family and so you could look for games that have got those features and so that's the approach that that both the database and the book takes is to try and provide the information without a moral judgment so that a parent or carer can then decide well how am I going to parent my kids and some of them will be quite cautious which is fine I'm not trying to convince parents they have to let you know the kids run riot on technology some of them will be more balanced in the middle and some of them will be more about early adopters and the excitement of getting stuff and you know the, the benefits that come with that and I don't make a judgment about what is and isn't right but I want those parents to make an accurate assessment so that they can employ their sort of parenting values really powerfully. For some, the idea of playing a game for the first time might be quite daunting, especially if you're a parent and you are worried about what the genres might entail, whether you're concerned about games all being about violence or being about shooting. There are plenty of games out there worth trying, and a lot of them don't even require that much hard work to play. Some of them, like graphic novels or even just visual novels, are much easier to pick up and have a go, and it makes a great entry point for play. Andy has a few suggestions for some great games to get you started. So 
so it depends who I'm talking to, but some games that I keep coming back to in different scenarios are probably worth highlighting. So I'm often saying this kind of stuff and saying how it's good to play together and, and you know, mums and dads should play too. And I'll be stopped by somebody in, in, in the group and who say, oh, it's great what you're saying, but I'm never going to play a game. I don't like shooting things. So it's great what you're saying, but I just wanted to tell you that. And so in that scenario, I've got some games that I'll go to that I know are good for people who've never played games before. And these are games that are aimed at adults to kind of illustrate what games can be and it is a little more like media so there's a particular game i use called bury me my love which is a mobile game it's out on the switch as well now and it's a game where you play the husband of a syrian woman and her family is killed and together you decide the best course of action is for her to travel to europe but you just play it by this text conversation like you're texting your spouse it's very well written it's almost like reading a novel and at first it does feel like oh i'm just kind of it's like a interactive fiction i'm not actually doing very much it's just proceeding but you soon realize how you're talking to this woman in the game as she pops up on your phone or on the switch affects the choices she's making and it's played in real time so it means that if she's traveling or her phone runs out of battery you won't hear from her for maybe a day or two in the real world and suddenly she'll pop up and be like oh i've got to the bus station and but it's going dark and there's no there's not many people around i'm not sure what to do and you don't tell her exactly oh no go here go there but you sort of say well how do you feel or you might just offer her a smiley face or you might be like actually i think maybe you need to think about is it safe here what other options have we got and so the game soon starts to become this sort of branching narrative which is great you know and it's a real achievement i think technically but what's particularly interesting is how that affects your emotional connection to that issue of that migrant story the refugee story and for me as an adult I will say, you know, I felt like I knew about this topic really well. I felt like I was well connected. I watched TED Talks. I know I read uh, various fiction. But it wasn't until playing this game that the next time I saw a a boat trying to cross the channel or some sort of story like that in the news, I had a real emotional connection to it. And so I think that's a game that's really helpful because it it does something which people don't expect. And it, it really acts like media. And it does that for a grown up audience. For many, price is always an entry barrier to video games. However, it's worth saying you don't normally have to spend that much money to enjoy games in your own home because you don't need the latest technology. In fact, you're carrying it around in your pocket every single day. Part of the ethos of the book and of the website is that you don't need the latest technology to play some really amazing video games. And the best thing to do if you're getting started is to use the technology you've got in your home. That might be an old console, or maybe you have a friend of the family who's moved on and has got the previous generation. And so there's lots of suggestions of older games that are good. And, you know, we've mentioned the Wii already. There's stuff on that. But really, whatever technology you've got, you can get games on it. Smartphones and uh, even quite old tablets are pretty powerful and are really good for playing a range of games and will offer games you can play together so sometimes connecting a a controller to a smartphone or a tablet can open up more different things you can play but again on the database you can search them by your system so if you're looking for a particular game that would work with an age in your family so you put the peggy rating in you then say android or ios and then you would have a list of games and there are many more there than you might expect so that's kind of the message i think is use the technology you've got already then as you move into it you might decide to spend and, and get some something that's like a a bespoke piece of kit that you know opens more doors in terms of games but there's no pressing need to do that keep it tuned to kirsten county radio's evening arcade where this week we're interviewing andy robertson a gaming journalist who has just released his book taming gaming exploring video games their relationships with children and how you as a parent can get involved Stay tuned on Custom County Radio online on your smartphone and tablet and via 97.4 FM.
While the conversation around video games and children is quite an important one, there is another section of video games that we can't miss out. While websites such as Can I Play That speak about accessibility in a much more focused sense, the database gives access to people who want to find different games that may be more accessible for their children or even for themselves. So Andy speaks about one of the sections of the Taming Gaming website catering specifically to accessibility. Another part of the database is providing information so parents and carers, advocates can tailor the games that their children play and not just in terms of what's safe but what's going to work for them in terms of their level of ability or you know any sort of needs that they've got cognitively or in other areas and that kind of starts with thinking about you know, how well can my child read and so in the database you could pick the reading level so do you want games which haven't got any text because maybe your child isn't into reading yet or maybe you want to pick games that have got quite a lot of text because you want to encourage them to read more and that kind of started a journey for us of looking at this kind of aspect of games of what accessibility do games provide and that could be through providing particular settings or that could be through inclusive design so that they're designed in such a way that they can cater for the needs of a wide audience and this takes us into the territory of looking at people who maybe have a particular impairment or disability or however they'd like to describe it maybe with seeing or with hearing or with motor control or then a particular cognitive need and so on the database you can go in and pick your different criteria that maybe you want to play games that have got larger text so that it's easier to read or maybe you want to play games do your audio but visibly so maybe if you can't hear very well some games it's really important to hear the footsteps of other players and so they will offer a visible representation of the audio in, in a game sometimes you don't even notice it until you think about it or a setting so that you can turn that on or then there's things like as I've mentioned sort of cognitive need maybe you have a child who just doesn't do well if they're sort of put under pressure or put on the clock and so you can go in and say actually I want to pick some low pressure games and so all those settings combine with picking an age rating picking a system you've got maybe and excluding things like loot boxes if you want to create a really tailored list and that's you know from a database perspective that's a really useful tool but the kind of the wider thing here is just I get educating and kind of helping parents connect with the breadth of games that are on offer and because there are really so many and because many developers have worked really hard to make their games accessible either by, by this inclusive design or by offering settings so even if you have a particular impairment or, or need you can still play those games and often in those situations you're able to play with other kids in a way that maybe is difficult in the real world so again it's it's a nice kind of leveler and uh, there's obviously lots of charities that work in this area to to extend that and provide pieces of kit that actually go further and then close that gap um, even more charities like special effect so again that's been a really enjoyable part of the database to put together both providing information but then the, the conversations we've had from people who have who have used it and have fed back have just been very rewarding. While on the subject of accessibility, we also got to talking about the Xbox Adaptive Controller, one of the most useful tools for disabled gamers over the last decade. That controller is amazing because suddenly you've got this sort of uniform interface. You can plug all switches and dials and whatever you need. And so you could play a game if all you can do is control a, do a, use a sip control. So you just with your mouth, you're doing a sipping action to control a button. Suddenly you can plug that in and play a proper, you can play Forza or something like that, or maybe with an eye gaze control to do the steering. And it really put, I think, accessibility on the map. But I think part of this conversation, it's worth saying that it's easy to feel like, oh yeah, the video game industry has looked at accessibility and it's decided it's important 
and, and it's kind of solving that problem now. But really, this is something that will always be with us. You know, there'll always be, as we develop games, as we sort of mature as an industry, we'll need to continue to think about wider and wider ranges of people who would like to play. And also the, the nature of media is that as we improve in some areas, we innovate in others, and those innovations can then potentially cause hiccups for other players. Like a good example, I think, is with the Wii. You know, we talk about the Wii as a really accessible console because it has those motion controls so it's really easy for anyone to play you can just pick it up and like bowling you just do a bowling gesture which is great for those people who can who can pick up the controller and do that way but there's really no way around playing Wii Sports if you can't hold a controller and, and move the controller physical physically in space so actually the Wii in some ways is a very inaccessible console but we have this kind of double sort of way of understanding it I think that's a good example of knowing that this will be ongoing work and we just need to keep our eye on it as well but obviously those advancements from Microsoft and, and the industry are making a big difference. Hardware is an important point in the conversation about accessibility, however it's just as easy to talk about software in this respect as well, specifically the efforts that game developers themselves make to include everybody who may want to play their game. If the games are designed to then take advantage of that, suddenly they're available to a wide range of players. But that's, again, part of the conversation that has been interesting is talking to developers as I'm adding their games to the database. You realise that if you talk to them a lot sooner, they can make small changes early on in the development, which then have a bigger payoff for accessibility. Text size is an interesting one. If, if you leave that until the end and suddenly realise, oh, my whole UI is designed around quite a small text size, it's very difficult then to introduce a, a changeable text. But if you do that from the beginning, obviously it's quite easy and equally sometimes it's just you know it hasn't come up in the design process so I'll often talk to developers about things like do you have an option to, to switch between holding or toggling a button and once you've thought about that you're like oh yeah some people can't hold buttons of course I can just put a little option in to sorted but if you don't have that conversation and that knowledge then those settings aren't added and those are really key particularly the remapping settings if you're going to take advantage of custom controllers and things like the Xbox adaptive controller because you need to be able to customize what the game does to match the than what the controller does and again that opens up to a much wider audience. Here on Coasting County Radio we really like to ask all of the important questions. We have challenged people on some of the most important subjects and I did this as well to Andy. I had to ask him what game has he been playing at the moment? I have just finished The Last of Us Part 2, which obviously isn't a family game in the strict <laughs> sense. You know, but for me, families are all ages. That will be a game that we talk about in the database. You know, obviously, it's, it is for people who are 18 and older. But I really enjoyed that. And with all the Naughty Dog games, I'll usually play them myself. And then I, at some point, will play them through with my kids, who are now sort of older teenagers. So I really enjoyed playing through Uncharted with my son. And we're just taking on Last of Us Part 2 with my daughter, who's 17. And that's just a really nice time just to play together. But I also really quite like just older style sort of 3D platform games. So I really enjoyed New Super Lucky's Tale. Um, and it was kind of like this nice, safe, colourful place that I could go to once a day. as a kind of an escape, a bit of meditation away from the chaos of the world. And I was looking for what else to play after that. So I moved on to A Hat in Time, which I was really impressed by. There's another 3D platform game where you're exploring the world and you're collecting items. You have to do certain things to move on. And there's a, there's a narrative. And then finally, in these games, 
games is Spyro Trilogy, which is a, a re-release of the old Spyro games, which again are really simple, but just really well designed. So you have to explore these levels and find the various dragons and find all the gems. And if you're someone like me, I want to find them all. But and the levels aren't too huge. So I, I know that if I spend half an hour just carefully exploring one of these levels, I will probably find every last gem. And then that's very satisfying because you can have 100% the level. And so for me, you know, that works really well. It's easy to worry about video games as a parent, and, and it's easy to read lots of headlines that cause you to worry. But I think the worst reaction to that is to withdraw from games and to see it as something that your kids will do, and you're just waiting for them to grow out of it. Because games are basically a new media, and because they're really well suited for our kids' generation and this era we're living in, they're going to be played a lot. But by situating them as part of family life, as kind of anchoring them as a normal part of what we do, they can become a place where you know parents and kids find attachment and understand each other and have really good conversations rather than something where kids go and find attachment elsewhere and kind of pull away from the parents and just become peer oriented and they're just always wanting to play with their friends somewhere elsewhere by having it in the family you can understand that and equally it means then when they're playing online you know what's going on and so you're aware that oh this is good because they're keeping up with friends and they're having the sort of the chat of the playground and then also you know you understand that they can't necessarily just stop immediately when it's tea time that they need to sort of round the game up and, and sort of say goodbye to their friends and decide when they're going to play next. And then the final thing I think I guess is at the more extreme end, which is something I cover in the book, if you've got a child who you're really worried about is playing a lot of games, usually the advice is that that game playing isn't actually a problem. It's probably a solution to another problem in that child's life. So there's probably something going on and they're using the game as a kind of a salve to cope with it. It's like a coping mechanism. You could maybe see it like I might have a glass of red wine <laughs> in the evening. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that's been a bit of a day. I just need a glass of something. That's how I kind of cope with what's going on. And then if, if you'll get worried about that and try and just turn it off or remove it very quickly, obviously it gets a reaction. If someone came in, if my kids walked into the room, picked up my wine when I was halfway through drinking it and chucked it down the sink, I would be, what are you doing? That's my, you know, that's my, I wanted that. And they, they would then, they could then point at me and say, oh, look, look, look at what that wine's doing to you. It's making you very cross, isn't it? You're definitely addicted to that wine. And the same thing can happen with video games by removing this thing in an in unhelpful way we can actually cause it to be a, more of a problem than it is so by understanding it we can then sort of use that as a signal to say okay well what, what's going on you're playing this game an awful lot you're you know you're not doing anything else what, what's happening why is that a problem and it's not about granting sort of antisocial or unhealthy behavior but it's using that sort of game playing and interpreting that to help our children understand what's happening internally and doing the kind of work that parents and carers have always done but the danger is that we don't do that in this space so that's what i hope you know people take away from reading the book is that you know games can be a really healthy useful part of life and they they need kids need us to guide them in this area like they do in every other area the free resource online the family gaming database is at taminggaming.com the book is called taming gaming and if you just google that you can buy it from amazon or waterstones or wherever and on twitter you can you know i'm happy to answer any questions geek dad gamer on twitter so yeah and i'm always happy to hear any sort of pushback or you know it's, it's not something that we've solved and so it is about creating really good conversations so get in touch it's been a really good way for us to kind of expand the database so we'll just just sort of 
go back a little bit one of the things on the database is we create lots of lists of games that are unusual as i mentioned you know maybe games that are calming games that are good for families or good to connect with grandparents and so we'll come up with an idea or someone will ask us about an idea and we throw it out to the community and then together we put what usually becomes 20 or 30 games that might be good for this particular reason and that's been a lot of fun because you know i i only have a certain amount of knowledge and it's really about creating a resource where everyone's knowledge can sort of be centralized so that together we can kind of help each other I'd like to say a huge thank you to Andy who joined us for this episode of the Evening Arcade. This clip was originally broadcast as a full show on Coast and County Radio's Evening Arcade show, uh, which broadcasts every Friday from 6 till 8pm exclusively on Coast and County Radio.